Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week we're continuing our Oscar winning performances in our Oscar series. And today we are doing Dream Girls. Hmm. <laughs> A trio of black female soul singers cross over to the pop charts in the early 1960s, facing their own personal struggles along the way. Yeah, so, uh, this is, you know, another in the big movie musicals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm sorry, David, do you have an opinion about mu- musicals? Okay, so there's a very big reason I didn't see this movie when it came out. Okay, what's that? What's this was that? prime movie-going years for me and you. I'm trying to think. Well, this was 2006. Yeah, we were dating. Yeah, no. But we were still was- in school. I hate musicals. <laughs> yeah. I don't hate musicals. I need a musical that tells a really compelling story for me to be interested in. Okay. I need the story to be just as good, and I need the music to be really interesting to me. You are fine with musicals being the vehicle with which to tell a story. Yes. But if you do not care about the story and the music does not further that story... You don't give a shit. I'll give a better example, which is Sweeney Todd. Okay, great. And the reason that I fell in love with Sweeney Todd wasn't the movie. Mm -hmm. I saw a production of it, and I was Mr. Avant-Garde theater person. I liked doing the weird stuff, doing movement-based theater. And with that performance, all of the actors played the instruments for the Mm -hmm. show. was incredibly spare, incredibly minimalistic, and required the actors to have an immense amount of focus on stage. That perfectly suited the story being told. Okay. When you when you can mix those elements together, yeah. I could see Oklahoma, but if it were produced in such a way in which every element meant something symbolically to the story, mm-hmm. I would love it. Yes. And that's the key to me, is okay. if it's just a bunch of flash and songs for it to be a musical, yeah. it's boring to me. Before I saw this movie, I didn't know that the Broadway musical existed. No clue. Lots of people didn't. (laughs) Never heard of it. This music uh, premiered in 1981. It was nominated for 13 Tony Awards. It won six of them, so it's not bad. You know, it won Best Book for a Musical. It didn't win Best Musical, though it was nominated. So it it had some success. In 2006, when they were doing this production as a means to promote it, DreamWorks paid for all of the licensings for any non-professional production of DreamWorks. Jeez. Because they wanted to promote this musical, this play, everywhere. They spent about $250,000 in licensing fees to let people do it where they were. I mean, credit to them. And this is... In that's, terms, a, that's a great marketing plan. Well, in terms of musical history, this is a landmark moment. Absolutely. This is a completely black-led cast. Absolutely, yeah. And story. Like, in the whole movie, there's two white dudes. And they're on screen for maybe ten minutes. Maybe. And, you know, in terms of a Broadway musical, mm-hmm. a big deal Broadway musical. Big deal Broadway musical. And here, it's not even the kicker that, well, it is a, it's a huge kicker. I don't want to discount that, that it is a full persons of color cast. Correct. It's also got not one, but two very, very compelling female leads. And two incredibly compelling female supporting leads Exactly. As well. And that never happened. This is one of those 
we're so white, we're blinded by a bunch of culture because this has been there and been I've, a big deal for a lot of people for I've, a long time. Absolutely. I've just never been exposed to it. I didn't know it existed until this movie. Yeah. So much of the material remains the same as a stage musical. Um, some of the songs were removed and then four songs were added specifically for the movie. So they um, could rack up those Oscar of course, songs. which they got three of them were nominated. Some of the story changes were that they made much more overt references to the Supremes and Motown. Clearly. The death of Jimmy is completely different in the stage musical. And then they moved the setting of the story from Chicago to Detroit. So those are the big things that they changed. So that's, that's, that's what's different. So it was written, Tom Ayen, who wrote the Broadway production book, is credited. And then Bill Condon, who's also our director, wrote the screenplay. Before this, Bill Condon had done Strange Behavior, X2, Gods and Monsters, Chicago, and Kinsey. After this, he actually wrote the 81st Academy Awards, Tilda, The Greatest Showman. And it was just announced that he is doing the Richard Pryor movie, Is It Something I Said? Mm. So, like, this is the world he plays in. How do we feel about the writing? It's so on the nose. It is. It's such an eye-rolling movie. And it's it's frustrating because we'll talk about it with the cast. These actors are doing their amazing, hardest amazing work, work to try to make it work, but it never really does. I think the problem is they didn't have a mechanism in this film like they did in Chicago to make the singing work. In part because they do too much singing as people conversationally. Oh, my lord. No, no, no. And, and let me let me say this. When you have like an aria back and forth with people, it's, it's something I love about Les Mis mm-hmm. because it's almost all singing. Yeah. But the singing is done in an operatic style mm-hmm. that is, I mean, it's still poppy in 80s. Yeah. But it's done with that operatic back and forth that makes sense. It never does here. Mm. And we get these songs. I feel so bad because there's that powerhouse song that everybody knows about Jennifer Hudson. It Mm -hmm. became this huge thing for her. That song is one of the worst filmed in the entire movie because it goes on for what feels like 20 minutes. And it just keeps going. And and part of the reason why it feels that way is because there's so much talk singing before yes. that is pointless and unnecessary. I am completely Be- tuned out at that point. Because when she starts going into it, it's an amazing song. Jennifer Hudson does an amazing job singing yes. it. She does. But the way it's staged and all the lead up is crap. Because you've totally like, oh, we're singing again. Okay. Oh, oh, you're singing louder now. With more emotion. I mean, all I can think of is you're watching this on stage and you're only going to be able to see people moving around, which can work amazingly yeah. well, but only if you do it for about a minute before you lead into the song. Yeah. like you, It's just, they shot their wad and, before you got to it. It's bad. Well, and the thing is, that was every single damn song in the movie. No, it's not every single song. A lot of them. Like, okay, their song Listen was actually one of the few times where... They let the song say everything that needs to be said, and they didn't overproduce what was happening on screen. What is listen? That's the one where Beyonce is singing in the booth after Curtis tells her, "Yes, you ain't leaving. You're not. Mm. You're, you're not doing whatever." And so she's just like, "She like we see what's happening. 
we can tell that she's going to be leaving him. The song was gorgeous. It's a beautiful song. Beyonce does a great job. It's performed well. They let the song do the work. Yep. So, like, it's not every song, but that's the that's the one that I remember watching in the theater and going, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, but a lot of them just feel interminable. Yeah, when they're not singing on stage as part of their performance, which all those were great. Yeah. Those were great. They didn't create a device like they did in Chicago to allow for you to accept what's happening. Well, there isn't one. And that begs the question of me of how do you not just do it? How do you not just write it so that all of the songs happen in a performance environment? Like... You you can write around that. You can make oh, that work. Yeah, you could have you could have made it work. All right, so we're gonna talk a little bit more about our director. It's Bill Condon, also the screenwriter. Uh, before this, he directed a bunch of TV movies, Gods and Monsters, and Kinsey. And after this, he directed the Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Parts One and Two. That's where I know his name. The Fifth Estate, Mister Holmes, Beauty and the Beast, and he is directing The Good Liar that comes out later this year. Yeah, he, he didn't do good. He didn't know. No. Uh, he, did, uh. he did no good. He did great with Beauty and the Beast. Clearly, he learned some things. Eh? Yeah. I haven't even seen that movie, but I'll still go, eh? Yeah. He actually attended the opening night performance of the original uh, Broadway production. Well, that's cool. So this has been a labor of love for him in part. He had not always been a son been attached this film has had like spike lee at one point oh my god to film it with jasmine guy as dina jones which would have been amazing spike fucking lee jill schumacher was set to direct at one point with with lauren hill as dina Uh -uh. which would not have been good no that would not have been good lauren hill could have been okay but not jill fucking schumacher yeah but it would have been explosions I might have spiced up some things. (laughs) It was the film What's Love Got to Do With It in 93 that put this back on the production. Like, hey, we need to make this film. Uh, Yeah, okay. No, I I had to think about what that was for a minute, but yeah. Yeah. And then it was after Chicago that the producers were like, hey, let's talk to Bill Condon about working on this because this was his dream project. So that's kind of cool, but he sucks. Yeah, it was bad. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about something that does not suck, and that's our cast. All right, we're going to start with Jamie Foxx as Curtis Taylor Jr. Before this, you know him from Toys, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, The Jamie Foxx Show, Shade, Collateral, Ray, which he won an Oscar for, Jarhead. After this movie, he did The Kingdom, The Soloist, Django Unchained, which is amazing, mm. Baby Driver, and Robin Hood, and he's got like 8,000 things that are on their way. He initially declined this role. He thought the salary they were offering him was insufficient. And then Denzel Washington was offered the part. But Denzel said, I can't sing. Mm. And once Beyonce and Eddie Murphy were attached, Fox was like, all right, I'll do it. He's okay. He's <sighs> so much better than this. Okay. There's two who could have been better. Uh-huh. Will Smith or Terrence Howard? Will couldn't really pull this off. I he don't can't think. play that asshole. Terrence Howard could. Now, if Terrence Howard can, can he sing? I don't know. I mean that that character but doesn't have thing, to sing. He that plays well. this character in Empire. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so we know he can do. I mean, it. I'm just looking at it, going, "Where's Taraji and where's Terrence?" I this know. is. <laughs> Taraji. Amazing. (laughs) I think Jamie Foxx could be fine, but I don't think he ever wrapped his head around this character and this writing. I never got charming from him. 
I never got that, oh, this not I mean, he's definitely an opportunist, no doubt. Oh well, yeah. But I never got a sense of him being super charming and how could how could the ladies not fall for him how could they not care that oh he was sleeping with my best friend because i want to sleep with him now too like i never got that sense from him in this movie and jamie fox is hot jamie fox is that charming he is that charming as a dude he's that good of an actor he is capable of it so it either wasn't in the script or he wasn't directed that way he wasn't directed that way okay. for sure so he yeah. he comes off as a soap actor in this movie very flat. Like, and I don't want to diss soap actors because y'all are doing a fuck ton of work. It's well, amazing. He comes off as just overacting. Overacting or flat. There's, Either one. There's there's nothing natural. And yeah, I don't I don't get the deal maker guy. Next we have Beyonce as Dina Jones. I'm gonna throw out a hot take here. Uh she's better than Jennifer Hudson. Mm, just slightly. Well, well, We'll get to it. Before this, she was in Beverly Hood, Austin Powers, and Gold Member in The Pink Panther. <laughs> After this, she did Cadillac Records, Wow Wow Wubsy on TV, Epic, and she will be the voice of Nala in The Lion King. I like Beyonce. I have nothing but respect for all of her artistic endeavors. She's mm-hmm. amazing. It's not all for me. That's fair. That's okay. She's doing amazing shit, and she is representing so many people right now. It's awesome, but I don't have to like all of it. She is very decent in this movie. I don't think that's her fault. I I don't. I agree. Her job is to be pretty. Yep. She is amazing at being pretty because she, that girl never looks bad. Mm. Never. Like, I think that first wig is the only thing that is just not the most flattering, but you can't say she looks bad. Nope. Now, she's got a beautiful voice. We all know that. She's fine. But once they let her sing, I think she I th- would have been amazing if they'd given her the chance in this movie. I think if we had had a director who knew how to direct singers and actors we would have gotten something much more layered from her but it just doesn't show up here her job is to be pretty and to be the person you're kind of mad at for effie that's her job and she does well you see i think what i wanted here was i wanted the movie to be about dina and i didn't care what happened to effie and not because i don't think effie's story is bad Mm -hmm. but this becomes two different movies at a certain point yes and it should just be one well that's because the writing's crap and i think the second half is better than the first half which means i I care way more about dina's story than i do about effie it took way too long for us to get to the point where effie's kicked out yeah it just does because then it should have been from that point on that 30 minutes in effie should have been kicked to the curb yes and then it should have been a back and forth timeline of this is what's going on with Dina. This is what's going on with Effie. This is how Effie's struggling and she's being difficult. This is how Dina's str- struggling, even though she's successful. Like, this is what's happening. It should have been that mirror back and forth. And, and then tie them back together. With this song, finally, Cece leaves the company because Curtis is selling out his music. He goes, makes amends with his sister, and then they get they have to come together because this song, the one night only song gets stolen, whatever. Yeah. That's when we come back together and we have the resolution that, oh, she had Curtis's baby. Didn't tell him. La la la. Next, we have Eddie Murphy as James Thunder Early. Before this, you know him from Trading Places, which we've covered on this show. Coming to America, which we've covered on this show. Boomerang, The Nutty Professor, The PJs on TV, and Shrek. After this, he did Shrek 
the third and the rest of them, a thousand words, Mr. Church, triplets, and recently Beverly Hills Cop 4 has been announced and he will be in that. Meh. I think this is one of his best performances. Meh. No, I really do. He's great in it because he's that showman that you know Eddie Murphy can do. He can put on a stage persona like nothing else. But when his character's not on stage, he's got a lot of depth and a lot of pain. And he's a heroin addict. And you see him go from, you know, king of the mountain to like nothing. He's just doing Eddie Murphy stuff to me throughout the first half of the movie. Maybe a little, yeah. And after a certain point, his story becomes background noise that feels completely superfluous. If you take him out of this movie, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I just don't care about his character. It's kind of funny you say that because in the stage musical, his character leaves during rap. Much like in the movie, you know, he kind of has that breakdown on stage and then he leaves. And then we never see him ever again. Whereas in the movie, he dies of a heroin overdose. Yeah. I just don't don't care. I don't think his character is necessary. Actually, he is because singing backup for them is how those girls got their break. But he could be a one minute cameo in that role. And it still would have had the same he impact. Could have, he could have gone away when the girl, when they kicked Effie out. Like that could have been a like all of these things with the changes and they're becoming bigger. They don't need him anymore. But oh, guess what? We're not putting up with Effie anymore. You have to go too. Like that could have all happened at the same time. I don't, I don't disagree. I do agree that there are moments of real brilliance, especially when we get later on and he's, you know, trying to be like, I've got this new song and this idea. And that's great. But by the time we get there, I don't give a crap about him. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because then, again, you're wasting some really good performance there from him. If you wanted me to care more, I needed to see those conflicted feelings and that pain early. And I don't get it yeah. right away. And I need that closer to the beginning of this movie. Okay. He needs to be more tortured so that we can feel that pain later on. Danny Glover is <laughs> Marty Madison. We already talked about him in our Saw episode. You know him from everything. I'm not going to say anything bad about Danny Glover, because again, it's just like Saw. He shows up and he does amazing work. Thank you. You're awesome. Like More please. You just show up to things and I'm like, you're good. Do do what you're going to do, Danny. I don't care. Yep. Just whatever you want to do. You're great. All right. Next, we have Jennifer Hudson as Effie White. This is her film debut. You know her from being on American Idol. She did not win. And she beat out 782 other actresses, including her American Idol rival, Fantasia Barino, for this role. After this, she went on to be in the Sex and the City movie, The Secret Life of Bees, Winnie Mandela. She was on the Smash TV show, Black Nativity. She's been on Empire, Sing, and she will be in Cats this year as Grizabella. God, I hope we don't have to see that. <laughs> We're going to have to. I've never seen cats in any form other than mockery. I don't like Jennifer Hudson's voice in this movie. I think she's an incredible singer, mm-hmm. but I think she's over singing every song she's in. That is not her fault. Really? That's all this director. Okay. She has an amazing voice. And this is a role that calls for someone who can belt like nobody's fucking business. Which is great. Like, Beyonce can't do this shit. I'm sorry, Beyonce, you have a beautiful voice. You can't sing like this. You can't. Jennifer Hudson is not doing a very good job of acting. 
in part because the script is shit yeah. for her. And you have, you have a director who doesn't know how to direct actors. He doesn't. I don't like he told her to come to set late every day so she could understand the diva behavior. What? What the fuck? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Not it doesn't make any sense for her fucking character. No, it really doesn't. And he actually, this is this is the one that's going to piss you off. Bill Condon scheduled, and I'm telling you I'm not going, as the last scene to be filmed to give Jennifer Hudson that much time to prepare for it. And it's garbage. It's because, garbage. Because you over-rehearsed it. You over-rehearsed it. You over-produced that whole sequence. And it should, honestly, it should stop. The more I think about it, it should start off as her singing to the group that I'm not leaving. And then as she gets more angry, it turns her focus at Curtis. Do you want a really cool who could have been better? Actress Retta was called in to audition for the role of Effie. <laughs> if you do not know who Retta is, she's one Donna Meagle from Parks and Recreation. And that woman is the shit. She's amazing. Anika Noni Rose as Laurel Robinson. Before this, she was in From Justin to Kelly, Temptation, and Surviving Christmas. And then after this, she was on the Starter Wife TV show, the number one ladies detective agency. She's Tiana in The Princess and the Frog. She was on Private Practice. She had a reoccurring character on The Good Wife, which if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know I love The Good Wife. <laughs> Uh, she's also been on Bates Motel, Vixen, and she will be doing more Tiana cameos in the future because once once you once you become a Disney character, you are always a Disney character. Yep, she's kind of adorable. She is just this cute little pixie. I love her every time I see her. She has a gorgeous voice. She does. I mean, I don't her character is not as big a character as Effie or Dina, and that's fine, but she is just lovely. Like, she just wants to perform. She just wants to sing. She doesn't want to deal with all this drama. Can we just can we just do our thing? She's a great glue side performer. Yes. Yes, that's, that's what she's there for, and she's really good at it. She's this little button when you need it, and she doesn't pull too much focus, but she definitely adds to the group. Like, you need her. She had to wear six-inch heels while filming that title musical number because... She is so much shorter than Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. She's 5'2". <laughs> and Beyonce is 5'7", and Hudson is 5'9". <laughs> so, like, she's just a little, this little sprite. Yep. Like, okay, gotta put her in the picture. And I remember we're watching the movie, and I'm starting to laugh because I'm watching it, and I can see her shoes. I can see the platforms. Yeah. So I was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I'm just looking at her feet. It's just funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny to me. Like, no shame, but it's funny. All right, with Keith Robinson, a CC White. He, before this, did a lot of Power Rangers stuff. And then he's just been on a lot of TV. He was on American Dreams, that television show, which kind of takes place during the same time. I love that show. And then after this, he didn't, he hasn't done anything like super big. Hey, look, somebody who's being natural on screen. Again, like Anika Noni Rose, you show up. You're very interesting when we're talking to you, but you don't pull focus. You're doing your job. Like You're a little more central to the plot of this movie. Yeah, because he's the one writing character. all the songs. Yes. And it took me a while to figure out that he was actually Effie's brother. Like it just didn't hit it just didn't hit me. He really is the glue for this movie, which makes it so good that he's very natural mm -hmm. and believable on yes. screen. Because otherwise this movie would probably fly completely off the rails. With Jamie Foxx really struggling to find a character and 
the two leads just like not able to grasp on to what they need to. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, who could have been better? Sure. Usher Raymond was considered. He was the first choice for CeCe White. But not turned, quite. I think he would have been a lot more playful, which could have been a lot of fun. I don't know. But with Jamie Foxx, that wouldn't have been good with the way Jamie Foxx is playing this. And to me, again, you need somebody believable here because otherwise uh, this movie's garbage. No, I agree. Now we've got some uh, Arpons. Random people of note. Uh, yeah, random people of note. But first, but before I get into the true Arpons, I gotta do a little shout out to some Dreamgirls stage production alumni who show up in this film. Very cool. Hinton Battle, who was the understudy to the Jimmy Early character, he shows up as Wayne. Then we have Yvette Kaysen as May, and that is Dina's mother. Ah, yes. She was the understudy to Effie. Okay. Then we have Loretta Devine as the jazz singer. She was the original Laurel. That's pretty cool. And then we get John Lithgow and John Krasinski. <laughs> John Krasinski's the one that I went, wait, what? Because of his hair, that's what makes it feel like such a time capsule. You're like, whoa, it's Jim Hare. <laughs> oh, It's early Jim Hare at that. Early Jim Hare. Jaleel White as the talent booker in the beginning. Cute. Cute Urkel. He grew up so well. Rory O'Malley as his character's name is Dave. but He's the one on American Bandstand singing the Cadillac remix version. Who is Rory O'Malley? He has been in a ton of musicals. I mean, he's he's a big big deal stage guy. No wonder I don't know him. He's most recently was King George and Hamilton, and then he also went on the touring production. So, like that's been his big thing right now. And then we have Yvette Nicole Brown as Curtis's secretary. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yvette Nicole Brown. Like, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> yes, you know her from Community. It's probably where you most recently saw her. All right, trivia. Trivia. During the Christmas party scene, Teddy Campbell is listening outside the room where Dina, Curtis, Michelle, Cece, Jimmy, and Laurel are listening to a recording of Patience. Curtis's aunt Ethel tells Teddy to go back to the party, and Teddy answers, I'm waiting for Dina. And this is a reference to the close friendship between Michael Jackson and Diana Ross. Uh... Yeah, they were good friends. Friends. Nice touch. And one scene, Curtis forces the dreams to record heavy as a riot rages outside in the streets of Detroit. This is a reference to the 1967 Detroit riot during which Motown Studios remained semi-operational. I did not know that they were operational. I knew about the riots. They're like semi-operational. The character Effie was originally created for Nell Carter. And when this the original stage show was created, when it was still like in its experimental stages there are audio tapes of carter singing one night only that exists and are actually recirculated as bootlegs all the time when the dreams stand in front of the huge replica of their first album meet the dreams the cover art is basically identical to the supremes more hits by the supremes album all the photos of them are the same poses as the supremes a go-go album the jokes that bobby slayton tells in the miami nightclub were taken verbatim from don rickold's 1968 album hello dummy that's Don Rickles. <laughs> this was shipped to theaters under the code name Drama. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so accurate. It's very much drama. Oba Babatunde, who portrayed Cece White in the original stage version, would turn down the offer to play Marty Madison because he disapproved of the changes in the film adaptation. Honestly? I'm, fa- I'm okay with that. I agree with him you on cha- that. You changed my thing. I don't want to do it. Oscars. This is the first film to be nominated for the most Oscars in a given year without being given a Best Picture nomination. Well, I think we've discussed why that was a distinct possibility here. 
So we're going to start with the, the big one that they won, and that is Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. Along with Jennifer Hudson, Adriana Bazzara for Babel, Rinko Kikuchi for Babel, Abigail Breslin for Little Miss Sunshine, and Kate Blanchett for Notes on a Scandal. I never saw Babel. Never saw Notes on a Scandal. Nope. Abigail Breslin was pretty great. She was cute, but she did not deserve that nomination. So... I've got a big shrug on this one. I don't know how to feel without seeing those other movies. I know. We've only got two. And if I have to choose between Abigail and Jennifer, I'm picking Jennifer. The next award it won was Best Achievement in Sound Mixing. Oh, okay. All right. It was up against Apocalypto. Blood Diamond, Flags of Our Father, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men's Chest. I mean, I don't know. It's This This feels like the de facto, oh, well, it's a musical, so let's give it the sound mixing award. Because, <laughs> you know, the Academy doesn't pay attention to shit when they're voting for stuff. True. Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role, Eddie Murphy was nominated against Diamond Hunso, Blood Diamond, Jackie Earl Haley for Little Children, Mark Wahlberg for The Departed, and Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine. Alan Arkin won. I loved The Departed. I mean, that was a movie that was three hours long and I came out of it and I was like, that was three hours? That didn't feel like it. That was amazing. Yeah, but Marky Mark's not that great. No, he, he didn't deserve that nomination. He's in the movie for like... 15 minutes. Hot take, Mark Wahlberg. Not that great an actor. That ain't so pretty. Okay, the one thing he's really good at, he did in that movie, and then he did again in The Fighter. Guys, so it's trees. Okay. It's trees, guys. Shut up. Best <laughs> Achievement in Art Direction. Nominated against Pan's Labyrinth, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, The Good Shepherd, and The Prestige. It won for art directing? No, this was nominations. Who won? Pan's Labyrinth, nominated for Best Achievement in Costume Design against Curse of the Golden Flower, Marie Antoinette, The Devil Wears Prada, and The Queen. Winner, Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. And it was gorgeous. And sexy. That was our first anniversary. We went and saw that movie. It was very good. The movie or anniversary? Both? We did eat at Kobe. Yeah. It was a good anniversary. <laughs> We're such dorks. Yeah, we are. The movie is that that movie is okay, but the costumes were gorgeous. They were gorgeous. The whole the whole movie was gorgeous. Yes. Best achievement in music written for a motion picture. Okay, this film got three nominations in this category mm-hmm. for "Listen," "Love You," "I Do," and "Patience." Okay. Also nominated was "Out Town" by Randy Newman for "Cars." And I Need to Wake Up by Melissa Etheridge for An Inconvenient Truth. Yep, and I Need to Wake Up one. Yes. Yeah. So it lost. It had three. Three of the five nominations and it lost to the movie about how we're murdering our earth. Can, can I tell you something? What? That song's better. That's a really good song. And I won't, I won't disagree. It's it is really, really well song. used in the end credits of that film. Correct. I don't disagree. I would have really liked Listen to have been the winning song of the ones they nominated from this film. That is true. Because that's beautiful. I do really like Love You, I Do, because I think that one is used really well in the film. But Listen is a better song. They oh, actually yeah. played that one on the radio for a while. It's fantastic. Right. So that's the end of all of our Dream Girls stuff. Okay. So now it's time to rate this film. How many... Bad Motown covers. Are we going to give this film? It's my film, so I have to go first. That's true. I'm going to give it a two. I love the performance by Eddie Murphy. Like, you don't have to agree. I really enjoyed it. I was surprised and impressed by it. It's totally fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's for, as a first time out, Jennifer Hudson did what she was told to do. 
And what she does, she does very well. That girl can sing like nobody's business. I wish it had, would have been a better showing. With a better director, if, a, if Rob Marshall was helming this... I'm try- I've tried really hard. I don't just want to crap all over this movie because there's a lot of this that it's just personal preference. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that. Like there's, there's merits to this movie beyond me going, I hate this kind of musical and I hate what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think I'm gonna go one and a half. Okay. I don't like the Eddie Murphy performance as much as you. That's fine. But as you say, all of these people are doing their best. Mm-hmm. Half of them give believable performances. Half of them give some really strong moments of performances, and then the rest of it is way too all over the place because they did such a terrible job adapting this story for the screen. Mm-hmm. And I could feel myself in the first 10 minutes of the movie going, you lost me. Not that you lost me and I can't keep watching because there's moments that I'm like, oh, I'm engaged in this part. Mm-hmm. But you just lost me from this movie. I, I don't disagree. And so I, I would consider a two, but I think I downgraded another half a point for that. It's a disappointing movie. It is. I had to torture you with with an Oscar movie. <laughs> I, had, I had to torture you with a musical. So, you know. I want to see this on a stage. Oh, agreed. Because I think it be really... would be a billion times better. I fully agree. Yeah. Fully agree. Well, now, now we have pause to want to go see that. All right, so next week, it's another one of my picks Oh, that you have not seen, and this time it's a twofer. It's a twofer movie. Who? Acting performance, Oscar's out of it. Talking about 1993's The Piano. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy that I haven't seen this? Yes, because it's Holly Hunter. You love Holly Hunter. I think a lot of people haven't seen this movie. I think you'd be surprised. I'm like, between Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin, like, this movie is insane. It's great. And I think it's off the radar for a lot of people. I don't know how that's possible. Mm. Well, that's not true. There's some very sexual situations in this movie. Oh, well, now you've peaked my interest. <laughs> oh, now you want to see it. Okay. <laughs> So they all have sex with the piano. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.